Divorce Healthy listeners, thank you so much for coming back. I just want you to know how grateful we are that you come here for your resources, for your information, and for your news around anything dealing with divorce in America and the changes that are happening all around you with your friends and hopefully in your own divorce or if you are post-divorce or your parents are getting divorced, hopefully you're able to help receive those resources and information here so that we can make it more peaceful. Today, we have shared parenting is the main topic. This is something that's very important to me. It's not exactly related to collaborative family law, but it is absolutely in the same ball game, and I think both achieve the same end. And I have some great guests here. I'm on the National Parents Organization board, and we are all together. Now I have two of those board members with me, Matt Hale and Don Hubin. And so they're going to be able to talk to us about their own journeys with shared parenting and the reason why they're so dedicated and passionate, because we do all of this for free so that we can advance the mission. And I think that that's a really important thing to get across. Then at the end of this episode, we've got an extra little added bonus to you. Kelly will be here to talk about her children's book and that extra resource. So we want to just make sure we provide all those resources for our parents and for those of you in America dealing with divorce or um, dealing with shared parenting and co-parenting issues. It's not easy and as much help as we can get, it does take a village. So thank you so much, Matt and Don, for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We are so excited to have you here. So I'm just going to have you both individually kind of talk about what it is that brought you to shared parenting to NPO what you're looking to do for America in promoting this concept and get into our recent publication in Forbes, which was really amazing. How to Win Your Divorce by Staying Out of Court was the title of it. And MPO was mentioned as far as shared parenting. So big stuff going on in America. That's following an L Magazine shout out and then additionally Washington Post. So and then another Forbes article before that. So there's a lot going on in the national media. And then there's just a lot going on over our country, post-coronavirus, mid-coronavirus. And so if you would, Matt, do you want to start us off? Let us know, how did you get in touch with the mission of shared parenting? And what are your thoughts around what's going on in our country today? Shared parenting hasn't really, the laws haven't affected me because I already had shared parenting. But when I was a kid, I was raised by a single mom and she did an amazing job and she did everything she could, but I saw how hard it was on her. Then uh, when my family separated, we, you know, when I was an adult, we had shared parenting and I saw how much better it worked. And so I just want to help other families get shared parenting because it's, it's good for parents, it's good for kids. And as you've said, Ash and Nicole, it's good for society. You know, it avoids that, uh, I think the phrase you use is toxic fallout. And how that affects businesses and, and other people in, in our community. And shared parenting is just a, a better way forward for America. And what specifically have you done in the efforts of shared parenting? Well, I listened to Don, so that's part of it. <laughs> in 2012, I joined the National Parents Organization and founded the Kentucky chapter. And Don at that time advised me to uh, start promoting temporary orders, shared parenting and temporary orders. Because Kentucky had an absolutely terrible, <laughs> terrible child support or child custody law. We got a D minus on NPO's report card. And Don thought that it would make sense to take an incremental step rather than go for full shared parenting. It took a while. I failed often. I made a lot of mistakes. And in uh, 2017, we got Kentucky to pass House Bill 492, which was the 
at the time, uh, well, I believe it still is, the nation's second rebuttable presumption for shared parenting and temporary orders. And then it was so well received, Ash and Nicole, that we went on and, and the following year went for the gold standard, which is shared parenting and permanent orders. And we got the nation's first rebuttable presumption that it's in a child's best interest for shared parenting to have equal time with both parents. It passed the House 81 to 2 in the Senate unanimously, which is pretty amazing. And the following year, uh, I created uh, Shared Parenting Day, which is April 26th, coming up uh, next week. I'm already wearing my yellow. I'm already wearing my yellow in advance. It's the color of Shared Parenting Day. And we got the state of Kentucky to declare April 26th, which is the day the law was signed. Got it proclaimed as Shared Parenting Day, and now Missouri has, has also proclaimed it. And you know, we're, we're hearing that it's getting momentum and probably be picked up in other states. The work that you've done so impressive. So thank you for being so humble with your introduction of it. I think initially you're like, well, you know, I'm just kind of uh, attached to shared parenting, but you've been a huge piece of this whole push. And, and it's been very inspirational to me just to see other people in other parts of the country doing the same thing that I'm doing within my own state of North Carolina. And the efforts that you made and the success that you received in Kentucky really, I think, has been a big proponent for other legislature that we have, such as House Bill 186 in North Carolina that have started to come down the tracks. And so there's a lot of the country that says, well, our judges kind of do 50-50 naturally anyway. But there's a big difference between kind of do 50-50 naturally anyway and rebuttable presumption of shared parenting. And that is, like you said, the gold standard. And so thank you so much for what you've done for our country and for your state of Kentucky. I think that it's been pretty amazing to see what that has really started as a domino effect. And I do think we're in the midst of that now. So Don, I know that you're super passionate. Don is our president. So thank you for joining us of NPO. So tell me about your journey with Shared Parenting. We are so excited about Shared Parenting Month, even though it's not specifically acknowledged here in North Carolina. I do also celebrate Shared Parenting Day on April 26th. And so we're looking forward to that coming up. So, Don, tell me about your, what's your passion? Where did that come from with shared parenting? So, Ashley and Nicole, thanks so much for having me on. Um, I got involved in this the way really most of us do through painful personal experience. I was divorced in the 90s. I had shared parenting all along, too. But unlike Matt, I think I'd say that uh, the, the absence of a presumption of equal shared parenting did affect me because I had to fight for shared parenting. I had to go through a court battle and really competent, loving parents should not have to go through a court battle to continue to be fully involved in their children's lives. But I did have shared parenting right from the get-go, including during temporary orders. Because of that, my kids are flourishing. They're all, of course, now, I think the youngest is 33 now, you know, so they're well past this. I have five grandkids now. This is well in my rearview mirror, my personal experience. But I realized that if those of us who survived the system relatively intact, didn't do something to change the system, it was going to keep on hurting people. It was going to keep on hurting families, hurting children, and, and hurting society. So I got involved in a statewide organization and, and, and led that for a while in Ohio. And then in about 2011, I was asked to start up a chapter of National Parents Organization, uh, then called Fathers and Families uh, in Ohio, and then, then came on the board, and, and now I'm the chair of the board. That's my story in brief, but I'll add one more thing, and that's this. Um, I am a retired professor of philosophy from Ohio State University, and I work in moral philosophy and political philosophy and philosophy of law. And one of my old professors told me, you know, you should write where your passion is. So I've done some professional writing on this. Probably the most relevant is 
a paper I wrote in uh, 1999 called Parental Rights and Due Process, uh, arguing that really the Constitution guarantees parents a right to continue to be parents to their children even when they separate. And I've done some other writing on the nature and basis of parental rights and uh, the nature of fatherhood and so forth. So this has been a a nice blend of uh, personal and professional life for me. And so you both know that my experience with it is also very personal. And I think that that is how this works. You know, like you said, we saw that there's a big breakdown in justice here. And there's a breakdown, like you said, in due process. I'm a constitutionalist as well. And I believe that these freedoms are found in our constitution and are solidified there. And I think that it's important for people to understand that there are a ton of people in this industry that are doing it just because they know that it's the right thing to be done. And when you see something that is the norm, which is for a long time was for mothers to receive primary custody, that just because it's the norm doesn't mean that it's right. And that is something that affected my life from a very early age on I wish that my dad would have been a part of an organization or a system that valued him as a parent, but he was basically told from the beginning, you're some ancillary human that was basically not a part of this process, and you're only needed every other weekend and at night on Wednesdays, you know? So he went on to create his own life, and to an extent, I cannot blame him in a lot of what's happened in this country. Because that message was so deep for so long. And now we have all of these children who didn't really have an established relationship with their dad, and they didn't know why. I didn't know really why all of a sudden I got to see my dad every day. And then for the next 13 years, I was not able to see him except for on these specific times until I changed all that myself and then created my own boundaries as an adult. But The scars of that are so everlasting, and we have so much going on in this country. You know, there's obviously a lot of issues going on in our country right now, but I believe this is still foundational, and I was going to get your opinions on that as well, as to why in the mess of what is happening all over the United States of America, why is this message still so important? And to me, it's because of the effect it has on family, which is the foundation of character and and a lot of how children are then able to progress into adults. And family is very important. What would I would like the two of you to kind of tell me individually, why do you think that in everything that we have going on is this message so important right now? Well, Ashley and Nicole, we have 40 years of social science research that shows that children do best when both parents are actively involved, equally involved in their lives uh, when the parents are living apart. And in fact, on every metric of child well-being, children who enjoy equal parenting with their parents when they live apart do about as well as children who are raised in intact families. And they do much better than children who are raised in a sole custody arrangement. This is the future of our country. We're making it harder for children to flourish by taking one parent out of the active involvement with the children, by sidelining that parent. That's one reason it's so important now. There's a groundswell of support for equal shared parenting. As you know, Ashley Nicole, uh, NPO has done polling in a number of states, most recently, just last January in six states, but we've done polling uh, over the last few years in a number of other states. And Americans overwhelmingly support equal shared parenting. They support a legal presumption of equal shared parenting. And we're living in a society where it's hard to get a majority of Americans to agree on anything, you know, that it's springtime in America now. You know, you you probably have a hard time getting a majority. And as Matt mentioned in Kentucky, the shared parenting laws passed there 
with overwhelming support, only two dissenting votes in the House and none in the Senate for the permanent custody thing. So this is something that has enormous support among Americans, and it cuts across every demographic divide you can imagine. It cuts across age, ethnicity, race, income, educational level, political affiliation, and importantly, gender. Moms support this too, overwhelmingly. We've got a groundswell of public support. We've got to educate the legislators, and we've got to combat the sort of institutional inertia that keeps things going in the way there are in many states. That is so awesome. And honestly, I love how much research we're getting now. I do feel like for so long, there wasn't an ability to have all this research because we didn't have the decades of destruction that had happened from missteps within the court system and standards that had been set in America. And so now we do have it all and there's a ton of it and we keep getting more and more and MPO is a big push in getting that information and getting the research. So Matt, why do you think that it is that right now in the middle of everything, this is still incredibly important? Well, Don talked about the effects on children, but also in society, we're looking for a unifying issue. We're we're looking for things that we can agree on in a very divided partisan era. And shared parenting is one of the most important issues in the entire country right now. And it's something that both parties agree on. I mean, when we talked about the, the House and Senate passing it basically unanimously in Kentucky, that means that both parties voted for it very heavily. After it passed, both parties tweeted proudly about its passage. I mean, how often do you see that? We need uh, unifying topics, unifying issues. And in America, I'm not sure that with family breakdown and, and the issues that we see, children struggling, that there's much, that there's anything more important than shared parenting. And it affects people uh, as much as any issue other than perhaps taxes or traffic, but some ways maybe more in children's development. So it's a major issue. It's something we can rally around together and it's unifying. So it's what we need. Yeah, and, you know, actually, Nicole, sometimes people forget. They, they think of this as just something that affects the nuclear family, but it affects the extended family. You know, when you sideline one of the parents, you're sidelining that children's grandparents and cousins on that side of the family as well. It really sort of echoes out or ripples out beyond that family to the extended family and then to society as a whole. And in a place where identity is so important to us now in America. And to be able to formulate one's identity, a child really needs to know both parents to be able to fully understand who they are, where they came from. There's so much of that that just goes missing. And for what reason, other than some random standard that was set a long time ago, it doesn't make any sense to keep doing it when everything screams that it's absolutely the opposite of what needs to be done. Now we even have information about how women who have shared parenting make more money than women who have primary custody and are able to get out into the workforce. And that is also great information to have. I don't feel like there's a study that's come out that's been like, okay, you guys are doing it wrong. There's just not. And it's amazing to me how we just keep getting backed up every day on that we're in the right space, that we're making the right moves. And I think that the world is starting to show us that that momentum is starting to produce because we're seeing it really, this topic is just really starting to broaden. And then in the wake of coronavirus, so just wanted to touch on this real quick, you know, the court system shut down all over the place. Massive gatherings of people, dockets that are just in a stranglehold for years and years courtrooms packed every time they're having a day that they're putting all the cases on for that 
week or having a docket day. And so we had to clear all that out. Now the court systems operate completely differently. And settlement is a possibility where you don't have to go into the court system. You don't have to expose yourselves to the court system. Parents are able to decide these issues outside of court, and they don't know that. And so these are all just it's information that we're just all trying to push and that we want to be able to spread that awareness nationwide. And so just wanted to touch on the report card. So National Parents Organization does a report card. We actually spoke at the Lincoln Center in January of 2019, or when was it that we were there? But that was right. Yeah, that was right. I don't think it was January, actually. It was nice. It was spring. Well, January 2020. It was 2020. The report card came out in late 2019. And then we were in New York at the Lincoln Center to just give awareness. And we had a big press launch of that. And that report card was really amazing because I think it helps, like you said, the legislatures be able to see there is a big difference here in what America wants and what's happening every day in our court system. And most of the states are failing. And so did anybody receive an A, Don? Well, in 2019, yes. Um, Kentucky received an A. Matt, exactly. Matt, Matt already mentioned that in the 2014 report, Kentucky had a D minus. It was among the worst states in the, in the country. Only two states got a, got a flat out F. And what are those two states that got the first Fs? That's New York and Rhode Island. Now, one thing I want to underscore about this is that what we're doing is evaluating the state's statutes. That's what the report card does. So there are states that have fairly weak statutes, but the courts may be behaving better than that. So this, it's, it, it's quite variable what the courts are actually doing. We're grading the legislatures on whether they have enacted laws that promote shared parenting. Rhode Island and New York have no statutory basis for awarding joint custody or shared parenting. Now, in those states, courts can award shared parenting, but it's only because higher level courts have said that they're allowed to do this. So the legislatures in those two states have never acted on this. They've never looked at the research about what's best for children. If I could, though, Ashley and Nicole, I want to circle back and underscore something you, you said just in passing, because it's a really important point. You talked about the research showing that moms who uh, have shared parenting are higher income than others. The flip side of marginalizing one parent is that we're overburdening the other parent. But when you have equal shared parenting, both parents have a chance to pursue their career, pursue their education, pursue their personal life, to recuperate from, you know, I mean, raising children is a wonderful experience, but it can be stressful too, you know? And having some time alone, having some relief from the other parent, offered by the other parent, is a benefit. So I just wanted to underscore that. And that's why I think shared parenting is, is increasingly popular among people who step back and think about how they're going to do this and don't just fall into the patterns. Yes, Nicole, I'd like to add one other thing, and that is while we're talking about the benefits of shared parenting, a lot of people have said in the past, critics have said that if a state passes shared parenting, domestic violence is going to go up. Contentious divorces are going to increase. Well, we now know officially <laughs> that that is not the case. Kentucky did an official AOC, Administrative Office of the Courts report, on the shared parenting law. And the shared parenting law, the enactment of it coincided with a drop in domestic violence and uh, contested divorces during the first year that it was enacted with temporary orders. And then when we enacted the permanent law, it dropped more. It becomes a pretty straight line that when we're talking about COVID and, and the courts being all clogged up and everything, shared parenting helps unclog the courts. It's a way for uh, states to address this, and it doesn't cost any money. 
you know, it actually saves money. It's amazing. The greatest way that I've been able to just see the effects of this and the study of this is that I have two separate firms. You know, I have a settlement firm and then I have a litigation firm. And just to see what the families look like on the other side of this is amazing. And our entire world operates in a system of checks and balances. For example, I have a friend who she really wanted sole custody and she ended up getting 50-50 custody. And then now she kind of sees and understands that that is the appropriate way that it happened. Even down to legal custody entails whether you can make decisions around extracurricular activities, school, education, that type of stuff. Well, her ex wanted their child to be in soccer, and she was like, you've lost your mind. I'm not committing every Saturday to soccer. This is ridiculous. But she didn't have a choice because they were 50-50. So her child ended up being enrolled in soccer. It's the best thing that's ever happened. Her child's like a natural-born soccer star. She would have never known that if it wouldn't have been for what happened to her, what she felt like was a bad thing. And now she sees that his opinion has a lot of value. Her daughter, her work ethic has increased exponentially now when they went skiing. It's like she's also a go-getter at skiing as well. And it's incredible. Like if you just in that small little vein, think about the ripple effects for the rest of that child's life, just because of just that, that tiny little thing. But in addition to my dad, wants to spend time with me just as much as my mom does. That makes me feel like I'm a whole person. It's so small, but it's so large. And the effect is so magnanimous. And we see it all the time, but it's not necessarily on the radar of America. Yet it is more and more specifically because of the two of you's efforts in Kentucky and then what's happening with NPO. So National Parents Organization is something that's very near and dear to my heart. I have been on the board now for, I think, going on two years. I'm in between one and two years. This is very important to me because of my own childhood. I know that if my parents had been given equal custody, my life would have turned out dramatically different. Now, would I have been able to have this wonderful effect on the world that I feel like I've been very passionate about? That would have all changed. So I'm not trying to, you know, go back and undo spilled milk, but I understand the gravity of it, and I know the NPO is where that change happens for the entire country, and that was my commitment. It wasn't just to change my local town, which I did, and they said that those families were functioning families on the other side of divorce and contributing members of society. And then I went about making a lot of change in North Carolina, but my big effort is, and my commitment was to make sure that this was a change in divorce across America. And I'm very still committed to that. And I know the both of you are as well. And I think that that commitment comes with a lot of internal dealings and controversy for each of us with our own stories and with just dealing with the pushback of the court systems, but it's always worth it. And it's always worth it because we see so many families who are so touched by this and children who are touched by it. And it makes it all worth it for me. And so I really appreciate the service that you guys are giving to our country and to NPO. And I'm excited to see what's going to be happening over the next couple of years, because I know that it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And we need to mention that uh, Arkansas just passed shared parenting here recently. Senate Bill 18 creates a rebuttable presumption. And uh, it, it's a good law. It's, uh, it's a good, strong law. I, I'm sure that when NPO grades it, I think we're going to give, give it an A, but I would imagine. Matt's such an overachiever. We love it. He's the only A right now. I'm working on my A from D plus. I think we're at D plus here in North Carolina. So we moved from D minus to D plus. I think a little bit we went up. 
tell me, just run through, where, what are all the states that have an active either movement or a presumption at this point that you can think of? I know you don't have an exhaustive list, but. Really, Arkansas and uh, Kentucky are the, are the leaders here. Kentucky's the leader. <laughs> Arkansas is the first follower. And I think Matt is happy to have some company up there. Absolutely. I, I look forward to when there's 50 of us. Arizona has, has a good shared parenting law. It's not as strong as what's in Kentucky and Arkansas now, but it is a good shared parenting law. William Fabricius deserves the credit for spearheading that effort there. Here's one thing that's important for people to recognize. While progress has been painstakingly slow in some states, there have, has been no retrenchment. I mean, all of the changes have been in the right direction. Sometimes they've been base hits. Sometimes, as in Kentucky and Arkansas, they've been home runs. But they've all been in the right direction. And that's important to underscore. You know, we have uh, active chapters in now 31 states working to, uh, to replicate the sort of success that happened in Kentucky. And we're working with state chapters that are not parts of NPO, not affiliates of NPO. That was true in Arkansas. Arkansas Advocates for Parental Equality was the organization there that spearheaded this. But we worked with Arkansas Advocates for Parental Equality. We did a, we did a survey in Arkansas that helped them uh, build support in the legislature for their shared Patrick Fraley did a great job there. Absolutely. Really did. Yeah. We're actively seeking out organizations that have similar ends and goals and, and approach it in a, in a way that NPO does. I, I describe NPO as being child-focused and research-based. We're not the angry people who are uh, attacking the system. We're trying to improve the system. We're trying to reduce the contentiousness of, of divorce. And, and that's really the, the intersection with collaborative law, uh, Ashley Nicole, as you know. I mean, I think collaborative law makes it easier for parents to arrive at a shared parenting arrangement because they don't wind up in a, in a court system where it says, well, this is what's going to happen to you. And the default is every other weekend. For and a big V in the middle. There's no verses. That's right. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's not set up as a winner and loser. It's set up in a more rational way. Now, now these, the, the family is separating. The parents are living apart. How do we arrange finances and child care and so forth in the way that, that works best? That's not the way the court system uh, does it in many places. I'd like to say one thing also, Ash and Nicole, talking about uh, your efforts. I don't think sometimes you realize how important it is for people to see someone who is a family court attorney, a woman, a child of family breakdown. We need to realize how important that is and how inspirational it is for other people to see you, see your efforts, see you out doing your podcasts and spreading the word. I think you're, you're making a, a really amazing uh, impact and your help, uh, you know, with NPO. I mean, you're just, you're really doing great work and they're in North Carolina and you deserve a lot of praise for that. Well, thanks so much. I'm super passionate about it. Also, I'm really hard-headed. And I think when people know that whenever I say I'm going to make a difference and I'm going to change this, that I'm going to do it and it's going to happen. But it's because I know it's the right thing and I know that the country needs it and I know that the momentum's there. I mean, I'm not just saying it because I'm just saying it. Like, I know that this is going to happen. And all of you, you know, have had that same drive and commitment. And it takes all of us. I mean, it takes the village and it takes all of our different states, you know, we're raising this energy up from all over the country and people are really starting to see if this is such a unanimous voice, why are these people so connected to this, you know? And I think that that really is truly amazing, but I really appreciate it, Matt. This work is not always easy, but it is always fulfilling, always fulfilling. And it is a very, I want to make sure we do highlight this as we wrap up. This is a positive movement. This is reducing animosity. This is reducing conflict. This is unifying our country. 
This is creating equality. This is doing everything that we are trying to do right now in this country to create a better foundation for the social aspect of our country, which needs focus. I think that because of that, this movement is bound for success because it has no negativity. There is no animosity here. There's no negative reasoning for why we're doing this in any way. All of it is positive. And because of that, I know that it will be blessed and that that it will continue forward. And that is something that's very important to me. So thank you so much, Matt and Don, for coming on. I think that it's really important for people to understand the basis information for why we're doing this, the research, the numbers, the states, the who, the why. And that's an important piece, especially for, like you said, our government. For the government to look at this, they need to be able to see how has it worked? How do we know it's going to work? And fortunately for us, we have answers for all of those questions. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Up next, we have Kelly talking about a shared parenting book so that these conversations can be easier to have, not only with the person that you may be separating from, but with your children so that this can be a more peaceful way for everyone who's dealing with divorce and shared parenting. So we will have her up next. Thanks, Matt and Don. We're here, season two, and I have such an amazing treat because you guys have asked so often for a children's book or how do I have this conversation with my kids? I'm so concerned about how to deliver this to my kids. And now I've always wanted to do a children's book. I will eventually one day do a children's book, but I have the perfect solution for you here. I have attorney Kelly with us, and she's going to be talking to you about her children's book, And just in general, we're going to be talking about her very funny and very real TikToks about staying out of court and how we can help you along that journey. So Kelly, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley Nicole. Absolutely. So tell me, what is the title of your book? Tell me a little bit about it, how you got started. What was your inspiration for doing the children's break? I'm sure it was personal by nature, either with your own life or your clients, and then We'll get into talking about the practice of law. Cool. So the name of my book is Two Adventures with Mom and Dad, and it's available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, most bookstores everywhere. And I would say it's probably targeted towards ages 18 months to about 10 years old. So, you know, a lot of parents who split during this time have asked me. Good information. Yeah. So they've asked me, you know, how do we tell our kids about, you know, our divorce? And so the book is really simple. So I include like a foreword from one of my favorite judges, 200 words. And then you kind of read this to your child. So things are going to change. But remember, it's for the best. No matter what happens, mom and dad will love you more than the rest. And then it, it just keeps going. But, you know, I love this picture. My illustrator is really talented. Oh, that's great. So, you know, you see them going their separate ways. Dad has the dog, though. Because in my life, my husband, if we ever, we're still together, but we always joke he would have the dogs because I'm not a dog person. That is hilarious. Okay. And so the whole concept of is is that it's two adventures. So it's not one adventure is better than the other one, or one is more than the other one, but that it's just two adventures forward, really bringing the concept to children that this is going to be okay moving forward. And what was your inspiration for writing the book? That's exactly right. You know, I've been practicing law, family law, for 21 years here in Los Angeles. And I just know a lot of people have misconceptions. Like when they go through 
a divorce, a lot of people think they need to fight for custody. Like, I'm not leaving without my children. They almost expect that that's the right thing to do. But the fact is, nowadays, it's very common to share custody. You know, more common than, than not. Because nowadays, fathers actually have, you know, in my life, my husband does a lot. So, but I, there's a lot of people that are still under this belief that mothers should get full custody. And, you know, it, it's just not the case. A lot of moms work, sometimes more moms than dads. On my street, there's a lot of stay-at-home dads. So I wrote the book to break the notion that custody should go to one parent. If both parents are wanting custody, we should work out a parenting plan. You know, I was recently, I did an interview with Forbes, and one of the things that I said that I wish my parents, because I got into this because my parents had a pretty bad divorce, and they did not co-parent well, and I also did not have 50-50 custody with my parents. I was with my mom more than my dad. And that really caused a lot of issues for my life and for their lives, just a lot of issues. But when I was speaking with Forbes, I said, the one thing I wish my parents would have applied and taken away is that they equally created me and they should have equally parented me. And I think that that is a notion that, like you said, is very much part of the norm now where fathers and mothers, we've realized over these couple of decades where we've done it wrong that really parents should have equal custody if, if they can. You know, it's not always the case, not always necessarily what the parties need, especially based on occupations or where they live, if you live in two separate states. But I just think that that's amazing that you wrote a book that parents can deliver that message with their children. And did you see that that was a big part of your practice that was missing, the being able to have that conversations with kids? Or did your clients just really need to have that? Or what was it that brought you to the children's book instead of an adult book? Well, it's much easier to write a children's book. <laughs> yeah. I write a lot, but you know, like you, I'm very busy. I run a very full practice. I have a zillion clients and you know, I'm a mother of two, so I'm super busy. And one of my projects was that I was going to write a children's book. And so I did it during COVID because I had some downtime. But yeah, eventually I'll write an adult's book. I love that, that you focus on the kids, because I think that that's the generation that we can really actively work to help and to be able to steward this process of divorce in a better direction moving forward. So you're very active on TikTok and you have a lot of funny, very real TikTok scenarios about going to court and what realistically are your outcomes in court. Talk to me about that and about your feelings about handling custody in court. You know, I have to say this because I'm a lawyer. All of my family law war stories, the details have been altered and edited to protect confidentiality. My videos are such that if my former clients saw them, they may or may not know that they're talking about them because I changed the details so much. But that being said, these are after 21 years of practicing law, I have a lot, like thousands of stories. And I usually put them in little vignettes, less than 30 seconds, and I shoot it out there. And people are loving it. Like, they're like, tell me more family law war stories. To me, that's like, you know, you can teach people like joint custody is the default, or you can give them a story and they learn that way. You know, that's how you teach through allegories. That's how I, I like to do. I also do that also with my practice. I think that that's really important because people can see Sometimes people have a difficult time thinking that their case fits into an amicable pattern. But something that they may see even easier that I think you've tapped into is, I don't want to fit into this pattern. What I don't want is what she's describing. So this terrible outcome, I want to avoid that. How can I avoid that? So I think that that's really important, a turn of how to get that message across. 
And do you feel like people have been very receptive to that? I know that your videos are, are doing well and that you recently were interviewed on a celebrity divorce on uh, entertainment, right? Isn't that what it was? I'm probably interviewed five to 10 times a month. I just did an interview right now with Fox 11 News. But yeah, I usually Inside Edition, Entertainment Tonight, whatever celebrity divorce comes up, I'm called to comment. And so I think you're talking about the one with Brad Pitt. So that's the recent one that I did. But I was also on Forbes last week about talking about prenups. So, oh, yes. But uh, yeah, I think you're talking about the Brad Pitt one. So yeah, I do tend to, com- I'm a legal analyst. So I do tend to go on and comment about divorce and custody issues. Um, but I was doing that before TikTok. So TikTok was a way for me to reach a really wide audience. I have people that are 12 years old and then I have people that are 80 years old following me. But it seems like you wouldn't think family law would apply or be interesting to a 12 year old, but I guess they're all interested in it because I have a variety of followers. I love it. I think it's a great educational tool. Yeah. So, you know, I speak to a lot of adult children of divorce and really children of divorce are starting to talk and have a voice more and more and more about their own feelings of when their parents go through these custody battles. Children in a large part are not inclined to be aligned with that just based on what they learn in school now and this entire anti-bullying sympathy that we have in this country. Children are not inclined to gravitate towards a custody battle or think that it's okay. And so now they're starting to talk out more and more about what their parents are doing and their distaste with it or their disinterest in it or how it's affecting them because they have all of these platforms and social media. And I think the TikToks are reaching them in a lot of ways. And I do a lot of work with adult children of divorce, being an adult child of divorce and knowing the destructive effects that it has if you litigate custody. Do the children interact and reach out with you, the 12-year-olds, and and talk about their own parents' divorces with what you're saying? Or have you ever, have you seen any of that? No more litigating. Yeah, litigation, you know, it's very trying on not only the families that are in it, but also the attorneys that are in it. And so most of your TikToks really are about how you can get, you get a lot of the same result that you try to settle for if you go through an entire court battle. That, those are the ones that I've seen. So can you expand on that? What is your main takeaway that you're trying to get across to your clients and to, well, I guess not even your clients, but to the masses with your messaging that you've been using? I guess it would be when you you know, are going through a divorce, you have to identify what you're needing the lawyer for. Because lawyers, if improperly used, can really destroy your case. There are a lot of lawyers out there that take this posture and this stance that is completely unreasonable, and it's not going to help your case. They'll file fake restraining orders. They'll just make life extremely nasty. There's so many lawyers like that out there. The takeaway is just be very careful who you hire and also know what you're hiring them for. You know, divorce lawyers are not supposed to be hired to destroy your spouse. That is not their job. So that's basically what I teach is I have a more holistic and practical way of educating the public about what I do for a living and things like that. That sounds great. So mediation, you've just added that. You said how long ago? About seven years ago. Nice. Collaborative family law. Have you ever considered that or dabbled in collaborative family law? Yes, I do. Collaborative law is not as popular. It's not mainstream yet. So I definitely carry about one collaborative case a month. So I started uh, my legal career in collaborative, which was crazy coming out of law school, straight out of law school a decade ago into my own collaborative practice when it was, like you said, not very mainstream and basically created that mainstream effect here in the state of North Carolina. But really, it was just driven off of passion and trying to make sure that 
couples understood that there were options. It didn't have to be litigation. You didn't have to go to litigation. Most people just assume that's where they're supposed to go because they hurt their friend or family member has gone through it. And so the alternative to dispute resolution processes have been a huge part of my career. And I love that attorneys are transitioning. Did you find that transition hard from litigation to mediation? It was a little hard to shed that shell. And it's also hard to do both because sometimes you're a mediator and then sometimes you're back to litigating. So I think eventually to be good at it, you have to completely disregard litigation. Yes. The problem is I'm so good at litigating because I've been doing it for 21 years. I almost feel like I have a purpose. Like if I'm good, if litigation must be done, I must do it because at least I do it right. Versus like some of these newer attorneys that fight over really dumb stuff. Like, why are we fighting over this? Yes. And honestly, the practice with integrity, because there are a lot of attorneys who they're in it for a lot of seemingly the wrong reasons, you know, and so divorce attorneys in particular, and we get a bad rap. And so (laughs) I think that um, having litigators who are doing it the way that it's supposed to be done and with integrity and not overly billing clients or trying to run motions and different things just to create billable hours, I think that that is amazing. And we have a litigation separate firm with my practice that the person who handles that for us, Ben McLawhorn, specifically has been trained to be, you know, so diligent about caring for the clients and the fact that this is really public service, you know, as attorneys, that's the way our profession started. It was public service. And it seems to have just gotten so far away from that. But now this new regeneration around divorce law has been amazing. Since COVID has happened, do you feel like you've seen that clients are more inclined to be amicable just due to the fact that the world's kind of on fire around them and they don't want it to be on fire at home. Do you think that that's had an effect? We've seen that here on the East Coast, but I didn't know what you were seeing over there on the West Coast. Probably. The majority of my practice doesn't have very aggressive, nasty litigation. So I would just say my practice has been about the same during COVID. But yeah, I think these days more people are trying to resolve it on their own instead of going to court. And I think that's such a great trend. Well, Kelly, where can everyone find you so that they can follow along? With your information and your input, can you give us your website and what your handle, social media handles are so people can find you? Sure. So I'm just Lawyer Kelly everywhere. Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn. It's all the same, Lawyer Kelly. And then you can also find LawyerKelly.com. It goes to my website. So it's very easy. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for coming on and talking about your book. And give me that title one more time. And it's on Amazon, right? Yep, it is. It's called Two Adventures with Mom and Dad, and it's on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You can find it in bookstores, but nowadays nobody goes to bookstores, so just order it off Amazon. It comes in hard copy and soft cover. This is a hard one. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Kelly. Thank you for having me, Ashley Nicole. Of course, and this has been our shared parenting, and then, of course, this wonderful children's book episode here on Divorce Healthy. Thank you guys for coming in and we'll have more for you next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Divorce Healthy, your guide to mastering conflict resolution at home and in the workplace. To inquire about speaking engagements, purchase your copy of Ashley Nicole's book, The Cure for Divorce Culture, or to schedule your private orientation meeting, head to www.anrlaw.com. You can also find us on social media at ANR Law. Find a better way forward right here on Divorce Healthy.